Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hey friends, welcome to the Tennis and Bagels podcast. I am Andre and we are here at the beginning of the clay court season in tennis, which is really exciting. I really love clay. Um, Brazilian, I grew up playing on clay courts. I've talked about this a lot during this podcast um, lifetime. And uh, I am, of course, um, following the um, the Monte Carlo tournament and I'm excited for it for what's coming next. Federer is due to play soon and I can't wait. Um, and I am obviously here joined by um, my wonderful co-hosts Vansh and Owen. How are you guys doing today? Fantastic, Andre. Good to be back uh, talking about the first uh, Clay Court Masters 1000 tournament that just took place um, in Monte Carlo. And um, yeah, excited to get into it and excited for what's to come the rest of the clay court season. A lot of great stories. Yeah. yeah. Always great to be here. And this should be fun because our preview podcast was fun. And basically right after we recorded it, a bunch of stuff went down. So this should yeah. be a fun follow-up. <laughs> Including one of them, which was the most unexpected, like it props to you for ever able to predict something. Please tell me the lottery numbers, but like Medvedev getting COVID unbelievable. Like nobody would have ever expected it. And especially because, it was a draw that could have helped him like get something going because it was a it wasn't as complicated of a of a side of a draw, um, but um, yeah, shame for him. He's not going to be able to play, and hopefully he's got to he hopefully he gets to play soon because I think he has to to quarantine for two weeks um, after testing positive and has to test negative. I think twice. There's a whole protocol for him to play. Hopefully he gets to play some good matches and win a couple before the French, um, which comes pretty fast, honestly. Uh, Clay Court season is not incredibly long, um, even though he has a bunch of good and important tournaments. But yeah, back to back to Monte Carlo. Um, so, um, what do you guys? What do you guys think? Let's just let's just roll with it, like in a, as if like we're on the round table, we're just speaking of the tournament that just happened. <laughs> no podcast, no nothing, just fan talks. <laughs> What do you guys think of the tournament? Yeah, I mean, um, you mentioned Medvedev getting COVID. That was uh, that was pretty unfortunate um, because his two best results in 2019 were Monte Carlo and Barcelona. It's not going to be able to play either, unfortunately. Um, but once that went down, then we had um, Djokovic and Nadal both lose before, or Nadal losing in the quarterfinals, Djokovic losing to Dan Evans. Um, in the round of 16. And this kind of really opened uh, up the door for the two guys who didn't take their opportunity in Miami. Uh, when there was no big three, we, we, we pointed out that uh, those two guys are, you know, probably the next two guys 
um, apart from Medvedev and team, obviously, and, and Zverev too, but like those two guys who lost to her catch in Miami now had a big opportunity to, you know, take advantage of their sections and, and get through. And the winner at the end was a very deserving winner. And Stefano Tsitsipas, who's had a great pedigree so far on clay and just kept building and building. He's been, he's now number one in the race. He's the most consistent player uh, this season. Um, reached quarterfinals or better at every single event. And he really made it to the final, to the final fairly easily, especially after Djokovic lost that match to Dan Evans. Um, but we can talk about Djokovic and Nadal later. Um, I guess uh, what impressed me was just Tsitsipas, the way he was able to just seize the moment and then handle the pressure this time around. Because this time it was his third Masters 1000. He'd been to one in 2018 in Canada, Toronto. And he beat there he beat Djokovic but lost to Nadal and beat a couple other top two top ten players and then he also beat Nadal in Madrid in 2019 but then lost to Djokovic in the final and so now uh, he was able to take advantage and he 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 and Rublev have had a decent rivalry so far they played five or six times and you know um, and now Tsitsipas has got the better of Rublev in their last two clay court meetings and so um, at the end it was quite a one sided I'd say a a good final, but it was, um, I, I never felt like the result was really in doubt. I don't know. How about you, Owen? Yeah, I think, um, I mean, first of all, I'll say my, all my predictions sort of fell very flat. I said, uh, I was expecting and looking forward to an Nadal Djokovic final, which obviously didn't happen, but I think there were plenty of interesting storylines to follow. I was really happy for Boss. He didn't beat Djokovic or Nadal, but he played by far his best match of the tournament. I thought in the final really stifled the best parts of Rublev's game while making use of the best parts of his. He kept Rublev uh, moving wide on both wings. His forehands did a lot of damage. Uh, he was hitting it with more spin than Rublev. Served incredibly well, I think. I counted 11 unreturned serves for him in the first set. I think Tennis Channel said 10. Either way, it's a huge number. Never faced a break point. And I think Rublev had quite a good week as well. He beat Nadal, which speaks for itself. I uh, played really yeah. impressively in that match broken seven times, which I think is the most Nadal's been broken since he lost to Fonini at the U S open. Right. And Rublev impressed me the most when he beat Batista Agud in a really, really physical match. So I think both these guys should come away feeling very good. Um, what you said, Vonch about Tsitsipas making a uh, master's 1000 finals before I was happy for him, that he was able to um, sort of instantly seize on this chance um, that wasn't against a big three member. I think we've seen players sort of falter a bit when the big three aren't in play. Uh, you talked about it with Miami and how um, Rublev and Tsitsipas sort of stumbled a little bit, um, realizing that they could be called the favorites, but here Tsitsipas uh, totally took his chance he was the favorite going into the final, I thought, and he absolutely played like it. He never doubted himself, and he was rewarded with um, quite a one-sided victory in the final. So I think going forward, he's he's quite a huge threat in all the events of the clay season. Uh, I've seen takes saying he could be considered the third favorite for Roland Garros, and I think we'll have to see how team does uh, in his comeback. But but yeah, like for right now, he can just bask in the glory at this moment, I think. Yeah, and the celebration yeah. at the end was was quite wonderful to see, especially Definitely. how much it, how much it meant to him and exquisite. just how much of a yeah exquisite good exquisite yes yes <laughs> <laughs> that was that was funny what ATP posted, but but regardless and the ceremony speech when he just talks he just keeps talking and talking it's like it doesn't just kind of just says whatever he was saying but to um like um it, it was wonderful joyous obviously to to listen and 
and watch, but it's like he kept talking with commas <laughs> and didn't know when to when to pause. But it was it was great. Like he even thanked the photographers, which I loved. He's like, uh, you guys, the shutter clicks uh, make this tournament so special, or something like that. And and as the funny, the interesting part was is that his mom won this tournament uh, forty years ago or something. Really? But it was a it was a oh, juniors. Wow girls tournament at the time okay. and so her name is on the country is on the country club waltz at wow. uh, at monte carlo and so it was a very special moment for him and his mom and his whole team and everybody the whole family was there and and this is this he said he's been coming here since he was five or six and he's been watching all the federer and Nadal finals like in, in the crowds and uh, so now he's finally he can finally say that he's a masters 1000 champion and a very well-deserving one. So yeah. it was a great week for him. And now he's going to play Barcelona next week and we'll, we'll see how much he can carry that momentum. But uh, yeah, the French Open is is really the goal, I think. Yeah. I mean, Barcelona is this week, right? Yeah. All right, cool. Man, it's... Th- there's a lot of name dropping. <laughs> First of all, we had like Kurkac, you had Rublev, Nadal, Djokovic. Um, and you guys you guys can, can skip on that with fun. But like, honestly... Like, uh, I think once you, you mentioned that on Twitter about her catch on how like there was the pressure of coming off of a, as a as a massive one thousand champion, mm-hmm. and um, um, her catch had two things this week. Obviously, he didn't he lo- he lost in the second round. I think um, that lost to Dan Evans. Yeah, the um, lost to Dan Evans, who was actually who playing actually really well. Great week, yeah, so yeah. yeah. But it, very interestingly, how this week was very quiet for him almost pun intended because of his press conference um which was a little weird but yeah do you guys do you guys think it's, it's something about her catch like just just for like a minute um um assessment of his his performance do you think it's a clay court thing for him to like not be able to follow through or is it just because actually the pressure came in and he just kind of had a low point right now hmm. i, I um, don't really I think-, think it's a clay thing I think um, the week after you win a tournament or the tournament after you play uh, when you've just won one, I sort of look at that almost with a half asterisk because I think there's going to be physical and mental fatigue. Yeah. I think it's tough to have that quick of a turnaround after the biggest win of your career. So if if these results continue, then I would say maybe worry about it. But as of now, I don't think yeah. this is... Especially against Dan Evans, right? So so stable and consistent on, uh, on court. Yeah, yeah and, I mean, Evans had quite a good week, so... It was, it was not concerning for me, especially because, uh, like Owen just mentioned, like the the, the mental uh, bounce back ability you need, especially when you're changing surfaces. And it was just, you know, basically 10, 12 days after, and he didn't have a whole lot of time to prepare, I don't think, on the clay. And, um, you know, he won his first round match against a decent clay court player in three sets. And then he lost to Dan Evans, who, who had a brilliant week and beat Djokovic and Gofan and Lajovic after that. So it's like he... Um, it's not something I, I worry about for him. I think we'll follow his results more closely now because he's a, a Masters 1000 champion. And so he'll his name will be brought up a lot more, mm-hmm. which I think uh, will tell us a lot more. The press conference situation was a bit weird and sad. I honestly don't know fully what went, what went wrong with it. Why journalists couldn't come up with you know one question, just on the fly at least. But uh, he took it really well and actually mm-hmm. answered a few of our questions on Twitter, which was great to see. I wonder. I wonder if every journalist just had their their microphones on mute by accident simultaneously. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah I, I but, mean, I think it's I think it's good that we're talking about this. From what I heard, I think the journalists knew that he was coming because he had been requested, but they didn't know when he was coming. 
and uh, the communications department like goofed on that but i still think they should be a little embarrassed that they couldn't come up with a question on the fly because it would have been very easy i think they could have like raised their hand and bought a few extra seconds that way um so i i think it was a shame that that happened and a really classy move by hercotch that he took to twitter to answer a couple questions because people do have questions for him yeah especially like young guys they're pretty active on on social media a few Mm -hmm. of them right so that's cool and people tend to ask really good questions on twitter too so why not um so speaking of i want to talk maybe more let's go from from rublev's perspective because it's runner-up right so like let's let's go from from there right now um what did you think of his um his nadal match i guess like if you want to speak from from that would be probably the match of the week if you will like for um in terms of importance like nadal losing on clay is always uh, an event to remember an event to consider um so um, yeah, I think two things happened here. Yeah. Um, firstly, is that um, Nadal uh, struggled, obviously, um, big time with a serve. He called it after a match uh, a disaster. I think he hit seven double yeah. faults in a set and a half. And like Owen said, he was broken seven times. And, uh, you know, he, he obviously can play in any clay court conditions, like yeah. he's proven a million times in the past. <laughs> Including Roland Garros 2020. Exactly. Perfect example. And, you know, he's, and the conditions were kind of clo- cold and slow and, he wasn't getting the same effect on on the ball as much. And I just thought his, just his overall game, just parts of it were were just off. And that happens when you have a bad serving day. I think he even mentioned after that it was kind of a trickle-down effect for the rest of his game, that he wasn't yeah. able to, you know, sustain rallies and keep keep Rublev out of his comfort zone, which is that forehand wing. And credit to Rublev because he really took advantage of all this. And he hit some great returns, especially mm-hmm. on the backhand. He uh kept Nadal honest by hitting backhands down the line, which, uh, you know, most often we talk about players with righties, two-handers, who can take that ball early on the rise and they can just crush it cross-court flat uh, and hard into the Nadal forehand and hope for some kind of payoff. And Nadal wants you to go into these cross-court patterns on clay where he has a little bit more time and then he can open up the court with his forehand and stretch you all over the place. And then the match is more or less on his racket, especially when his, his he's not serving like the way he was um as poorly but instead Rublev was able to take that time and hit it really hard and pin Nadal in his backhand corner and then get forehands out of it and move Nadal around that way and he also showed some few instances of variety on his own where he came up with drop shots pushed Nadal back and was won a couple of the long rallies as well and he was holding his own on his protecting his second serve much better than uh, you would have expected and all these things kind of played into it. And it it almost looked like it was going to be over in two sets if Nadal yeah. didn't get something going. But then there was, there was one point where Rublev hits this approach shot to Nadal's forehand at 4-3 add out. And <laughs> Nadal is anticipating. And it's it's one of those brilliant shots. But we've seen Nadal do that so many, so many times yeah. that you know Rublev should have known better, honestly, in my opinion. absolutely i I don't think that should be a matter of opinion and i'd just like to add really quickly tennis tv made a video of like top 10 shots and rallies from the tournament can you guess where this point was ranked number one number one which is absolutely absurd tennis tv if you're listening to this uh (laughs) shave off (laughs) (laughs) the the one thing about that shot for me is like and it's something that i've noticed a little bit in in rublev and we were talking a little bit in the in the pre-recording um session of this podcast uh, Rublev has a, a little bit of a mechanic to this game and to to his game rather 
and he tends to have very very um foreseeable shots coming like as soon as you see the image of like rublev with that as soon as i saw that image with rublev like on that on that forehand um i knew he was going to go inside out and nadal probably just looked at it and was like he's just going inside out <laughs> of course he had the he had the the tough job of putting that ball back in in a way that was going to go like not just kind of like a wimpy little shot that was just going to go back to another short shot so that rublev could finish the point he had a word to do, but he knew that the shot was going there. So he had time to think about it and just try to like position himself in a way that he would give himself a chance of hitting that shot. But yeah, yeah. it's like it's something that Rublev may want to consider a little bit more, just a little bit more um, court awareness, like understanding like where his players, his opponents are, and what he is at. He hits really good shots from the from the ground, like mm-hmm. unbelievable. Maybe sometimes he can direct those shots a little bit better. That's the one my only concern. Well, not my only concern about Rublev, but like. If he's if he's going to keep his play this way, just hammering shots and playing with high um, high intensity and a lot of pace on the on 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 his shots, maybe he wants to consider just placing them a little bit better. But yeah, yeah, yeah I, I mean, I, I what was what was good piece. about that? Yeah, uh, I, I agree with that, Andre. But what was impressive after that is that when Nadal took that set six four, and you're thinking, okay, it's probably going to be a runaway set here, maybe six two, six three, something like that Nadal, for yeah. for Nadal. Yeah. But uh, it didn't happen that way. Rublev was able to reset really quickly, and uh, that's the most impressive set I probably would have ever seen. I, I I could easily say that's the most impressive set of his career so far, and I wouldn't be completely wrong. And so I think, and and Nadal obviously gave him opportunities, and he he didn't play his best and. But then they exchanged breaks, and it was one all. And then I thought, okay, maybe it's it's going to be it's going to be a little bit more even. But Nadal will find a way; he'll pull through. Yeah. But then Rublev hit some incredible returns, and he started doing the same thing, pinning Nadal back back in the backhand corner. And then, and Nadal was just frustrated. And I've never seen Nadal like you know show his emotions that outwardly, like he was doing, like his hands on his hip, or like yeah. you know things like uh, like just looking at his box, or just uh, like. Frustrated and scream early in, early in the match. Yeah, and uh, and uh, you know just so emotive and I don't know if he was just a little bit just feeling a little bit flat and he needed to let some of that out. But in general, his serving just never got better, uh, even mm-hmm. even after that. And it's just um, it, he he was making a lot of unforced errors too off his backhand wing that were surprising. And I think he hit. I think I saw after the match he hit thirty six unforced errors and nineteen of them were off the forehand and. Maybe like 13 or 14 off the backhand and his um and so it just shows that like Nadal the last two seasons there's a separation between his results before the French Open and at the French Open and I think that's just natural with age you want to peak uh both these guys Djokovic and Nadal looking to peak at the majors and we're starting to see now that these best of three set matches even on the clay are more open and you know and and I, I I don't I'll be very surprised if Nadal and Djokovic play like this let's say three, four weeks from now, like I'd be, I'd be shocked. I think they're going to be much, much harder to, to stop. Yeah. 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 Yeah, I think that's really well said. I was only able to see the first half of the Rublev Nadal match, but uh, Rublev did do a great job of pinning Nadal in his backhand corner. He used the backhands down the line. Well, an element of his game that wasn't really as present in the final. And I think Nadal hit almost all of his double faults in the first half of the match, but Rublev was doing damage off the return. Uh, both off the second serve return and the first serve return. And I I mean, I think Nadal played badly overall, no question about that, but he actually played a few very good points. Like when he had time on the forehand, he was 
doing ridiculous things with it, like always, but he just couldn't string enough of those points together. And, and I was really impressed to see that Rublev came back and won the third set because he was very close to going up a double break, I think in two games in the second set. And um, yeah. there were some points where Nadal saved them with winners or uh, yeah. where he got a little lucky off a Rublev error. But I, it's really, really impressive to regroup like that because Nadal had yeah. never lost a third set at Monte Carlo yeah, before. Exactly. And Rublev beat him decisively here. So. Yeah, it's interesting that you mentioned it, 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 When I was looking at the scoreline... Um, Rublev won two sets at six two, but he could have been straight set to six two because he was he had a yeah. break point he had break point chances at um five um four two uh, in the second set. He ended up losing that set six four instead. Um but yeah, in terms of importance for, for maybe Rublev, um this tournament obviously uh seems to have been a really good um tournament for Rublev. He was yeah. really tired, obviously. Not obviously, but like he was most likely very tired by the end to face a pretty much fresh Tsitsipas. He hadn't had to face um, an extremely difficult opponent uh, until the, the final. Um, but in terms of going forward for for Rublev, what do you guys uh, what do you guys say on this? Yeah, uh, I just wrote to Roland Garros if you want. Uh, I just like to say he... really quickly. I yeah, I don't know how tired he was in the final because he did have a pretty comfortable semi. But mm, um, yeah. but yeah, go ahead, Fonch. But I mean, on that. It was impressive to me that he, almost equally as impressive that he was able to back that up against a very good clay court player in the semifinals. Yeah, Casper Ruud, who's made now two semifinals uh, at Masters 1000 level in a row uh, at Rome 2020 and then also now here. And um, that was a little bit more of a comfortable matchup for him than I had expected because Ruud hits a big ball, especially off the forehand. And his forehand is like, he. you look at him, you're like, this is a proper clay court player but he was able to come back from a breakdown in the second set from 4-2 down and then won that second set 7-5. And so he was able to conserve a little bit of energy there and not have to go to a third set, which um, some people were were expecting, honestly, that it would go three sets. But uh, he was able to get out of that. And I think it was just, he was just outclassed in the final, to be honest, um, by, by a better clay court player than him. But it was a phenomenal week for him because he he showed that he's physically a lot tougher now too, because he played that really impressive match against RBA, which quality wise might've been the best match of the week along with like, yeah, I think that probably was the best match. And then, and then to back that up and then beat Nadal and then here. So I think it, it goes well for him. And he joked afterwards that he actually took a wild card to play. He's, he said he was really exhausted, but then somebody asked him, you're playing in Barcelona. So <laughs> what's up with that? Like, I thought you were exhausted. And then he's like, well, you know, I, I took a, last minute decision for a wild card there uh thursday just just before i was going to play nadal because i i thought i'm going to be on on my way there (laughs) (laughs) and and so he didn't expect to be playing the final here on sunday but he's like you know what now i'm signed up and it's not too long of a flight so i'll just head over there and just see what happens but but no like regardless of that um i think in general like rubev's been winning a lot but it never really changed my opinion of him because I still always thought like, okay, it's what we expect. You know, he's beating everybody he's supposed to. And then, but now he finally has that one signature win that he can really point to. And it's a big, big one. And so I think that just bodes well for his confidence and belief moving forward. And also he's aware of the fact that he uh, can be exposed at times against these top players and that his game needs a little bit more developing and dimensions to it, if you will. And I think he's, he's aware of that, but he also knows how good his strengths are. And so for him, it's going to be about adding those little extra elements like the, the the touch the net play um you know even if he just doesn't do it the variety i just think sometimes his defense can get a little bit better and maybe yeah, the second serve uh the second serve for sure 
and then just finishing points at the net because um, you have to have a, especially on clay, I think on hard court, he can rush Sitsipas or he can rush players with one-handed backhands and then come to the net and hit swing volleys and then be very successful at, at finishing points in the midcourt. But on clay, he's going to need to add that extra layer of, of, of finishing touch, whether it be through drop shots or short slices or, you know, like those backhand volleys in the open court that you have to yeah. knife. So shots Which like... Which he missed one really badly against Sitsipas during the did, final. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, open court a volley net play is definitely something that he 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 would yeah. want to work on. Um, if not for the clay season, at least like coming back to grass and and uh, hard courts where he excels. Mm-hmm. So yeah, those are stuff that he needs to yeah. to work on. I and, believe too. And and I, and I think the net play is pretty pressing because he's he's ranked quite highly right now. But if he wants to go up, he needs to learn not just to be an offensive player but how to be successfully offensive against great defenders. And these great yeah, defenders right. are going to make him hit multiple volleys. And that is just not a sustainable way for him to win points, given the touch he has. So he needs to be able to knife those volleys, like you said, Bunch. He needs to be able to put away overheads consistently. He needs to be able to hit drop volleys. Because if he can't do that, uh, he will he'll, he'll be able to control plenty of points, but he won't always be able to finish them. And that's a gut-wrenching way to lose points. It can influence matches. So I think if he wants to go up to the next level, this is definitely something to address. And the the drive volley is actually kind of a, a good segue into the match that he played against Tsitsipas and obviously the 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 winner of this tournament. Um, there was one thing that I wanted to ask maybe before you guys go into the analysis of the his match, or we'll take it as you want it. But uh, do you think this Masters 1000 tournament is more important to him than the uh, Nito ATP finals that he won? I mean, in terms of points, no, but I think I said on Twitter uh, with a, in a conversation with Mert that um, he can he can definitely use it as a better springboard because he did not build on the momentum from winning the ATP finals. He started 2020 pretty slowly. So I think if he has a great clay season, in retrospect, this may end up being a bigger jump in his career than winning the World Tour finals was. What do you think, Bob? Yeah, I mean, I think he beat obviously beat bigger names there, and uh, it was a much more, uh, it was a, a very impressive route there that he beat, you know, Federer and Team and uh, you know, Zverev and Medvedev and players like that. But here, um, you know, yeah, I think he can use this really as a as a launching board, and this could be the start of something big for him, especially for clay seasons to come, and you know, kind of, you know, cement his place as the third or fourth favorite, depending on how Team looks uh, at the at the French and. And now he's had some some big results at every clay court event, and so now, uh, so this was really just a, a validation. Uh, and it was, I think, uh, his first Masters one thousand was coming. It was more of a, it was more as an if, but not when. You know what I mean? And so I think uh, this he could really use this as a as a springboard. And he's now number one, number one in the race. And he could, you know, if he let's see if he can how long he can keep this up. And then I'm interested to see how he does on on grass he's made a fourth round at, of Wimbledon in 2018 but that was back when he was still very young just not even 20 yet and that was before his Canada run and uh and last year he or 2019 when Wimbledon was played he was coming off that really um uh that harrowing loss for him against Stan Wawrinka where he had so many break points and yeah. it was a great match probably the best match I think of the best match of 2019 in my opinion yeah. uh, that fourth round against Wawrinka but it was a loss that he he's really had to he's had tough losses and tough moments where he's been up and hasn't converted and you know if you think of the match against Chorich at the US Open or you think of even the Hercatch match where 
you know, he he was the favorite. He should have won. He had leads and things like that. But he's used those experiences and he's built on them and he's he's improved little by little, I think, in every department. Uh, and he's just he's just becoming a more well-rounded player, I think. And he's now the, the the next step is the you know the major results. He's had three major semifinals now. If he can back that up and do another one or go even further uh, at Roland Garros, and then somehow put together a good run. The tricky part about Wimbledon for him will, will be the return of serve. I think that'll be much tougher on grass. Yeah. And also just getting used to, if he goes deep at Roland Garros like we expect him to now, he's going to have very little time to adapt to the grass and adapt to those. Uh, to, you have to get used to moving and playing on the on the surface and kind of build up those miles and matches. And he's not going to be able to get so many matches in, uh, you know, realistically. And so that'll, that'll be a challenge for him. Like it's been with team. I mean, it was a challenge for Nadal too, but he figured out a way to overcome it um, quite early in his career actually. But then, uh, so now the question is, can he, you know, do it, do what I was saying on Twitter is like, if he can do like a semifinal of all four majors in the next couple of years, that would be really, really big for his future and his prospects. Mm-hmm. And I forget sometimes he's only 22. He's mm-hmm. actually younger than Rublev, which yeah. which uh, which could be surprising to look at for the first time. Like you, you wouldn't have thought that he's a whole year younger. But so, so yeah, I think his tennis is in a really good place right now. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree with all that. And I think um, he said in an interview, either at the end of last year or the start of this year, I forgot who it was with, but it was on Zoom. He said, like, my goal this year is to beat Rafa at Roland Garros. And when I heard that, I thought he was crazy. Hmm. And I still don't think it's going to happen. But he has beaten Nadal at the Australian Open from two sets down. He's beaten Nadal on clay. And now he's won a Masters 1000 on clay. And so I don't think he's crazy anymore, even if I don't think it's going to happen. And I think um, I think he has the potential to do really, really well at Roland Garros. He made the semis last year, and he was a set away from the final. So I think even if he doesn't win, this is a great opportunity to like make the semifinals and give absolute hell to whoever he plays, even if he doesn't win, or maybe make a final, uh, particularly if he's in Djokovic's half. So I totally agree that his stock has gone up a lot. And now is the time for him to think, um, okay, I need to build on this. I think he's playing Barcelona as well, right? Yeah, he is. Yeah, so I think... um, I think like we were saying before, like with Hercotch, I won't be surprised if he loses early. I don't expect him to win. But after that in Madrid, I like I will really be watching to see how he does. And I think he should be trying to back up this result as much as he can, trying to build his aura, trying to make other players not want to play him. And I think, yeah, this is the best possible way he could have started the play season. I think this may be his best surface. So I'm really excited to is. see where he goes from yeah. here. Yeah. I think it's his best surface. And I'm just yeah. excited about the matchups, like just the, pros- yeah. just the prospect of like a, yeah. a healthy team fully fit firing Dominic team against Sitsipas I was just thinking that yeah. yeah oh exactly. that'd be so good it's, it's interesting like, too because like you, you think of those two guys and it, it, here's a, a part of their game which you don't necessarily associate that much with the clay court which is just the one-handed backhand but um, I guess especially for Sitsipas it, it works so much more in his favor to be on clay um, for team obviously he's He's such a he's such a powerhouse that he can hit like his backhand no matter what surface. Maybe he's still trying to find his range on grass a little bit, but like regardless, um, just the fact that he has time. Both of both of those guys have time to to wind up his uh their their backhands and just like charge up and like put themselves in position and hit like a clean shot. Um, lots of top spin, lots of power, lots of angles, and um, it just can do anything. You know, like there was yeah. this one shot in the. That we were just discussing earlier too about the yeah, there was this, this passing shot down the line 
um, Tsitsipas hit. It was pretty. He was pretty far back on the on the court as well too. Yeah. So he, that that passing yeah. shot was really fantastic. His combination, yeah. his combinations and packages are are very good on clay. Like his defense is is very good. His off, he can equally defend and mm-hmm. and uh, and attack. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well... HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. And yeah. he can he can use variety, and he just he has a good understanding of how how to like push players back and then step in and then come to the net and use yeah. his forehand. His forehand is mm-hmm. such a weapon on clay. Yeah. He's really yeah, good at turning around points as well. Eh? Yeah, yeah. Th- there's a point I remember distinctly from the final where uh, Rublev was like bullying him around, but Tsitsipas was defending, and then he came up with this great cross court forehand on the defense, and it pushed Rublev really wide, and Rublev got it back, but then Tsitsipas just pounced on the return and hit a winner down the line uh, f- off the forehand. And that was just, I think I wrote that it was like, it must have been demoralizing for Rublev because Tsitsipas like showcased his entire baseline strength and that he defended well. And then the transition attack like right away. So, yeah. Um, so yeah, he's so dangerous when you give him time. His biggest weakness, arguably the return, especially off the backhand is blunted on clay because he has it more is, time. Yeah. So yeah, this is um, playing on clay is probably as close to a uh, tennis heaven on earth as it can get for him. Yeah. I think about the 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 statement about like beating Rafa on clay. Um, when you said it, the first thing that I thought like it, it was actually probably it seems like a good symbolic goal to have. Like in a sense, like he, what is if you think of any surface and you want to beat the the one guy on any surface, like you can think Roger Federer on grass, or you can think Novak Djokovic on hard, but it it always seems like beating Nadal on clay is definitely the ultimate surface goal that you may yeah. have, honestly. And considering. Well, he didn't actually get to beat Nadal Klee this tournament, but like um, um, he he did win his first Masters 1000, and he's showing just how good he is on clay. I think this is his first title of the year too, um, which says a lot as well. And I think going forward to Roland Garros, um, and even in his own mind, I think Tsitsipas growing more confident and more comfortable, and more even more comfortable probably saying. Uh, clay is my best surface and I like playing here which is always something that is good because it, it's it's important to feel at home when you're when you step on the court it's important to feel like you belong there it's important to feel like um this is my turf of course this is my dirt if you will uh for um for for clay court so maybe uh now it's not as much as much more of a symbolic uh, statement as it is probably an actual goal because uh, you could say like my goal this year is to be in the clay as in like I want to get as close as close as possible to like challenging, <laughs> but you could say like maybe by next year I'll be able to to be to beat Nadal and Clay. But I I am seriously thinking that um he could have a shot. 
he would still be the underdog, Nadal and Clay on, on Roland Garros and best of five is still a, a whole different beast uh, to tame. But um, he, 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 he did it on hard on Australian Open. Um, arguably Nadal's uh, worst slam, but that's another topic for another to- uh, another topic for another talk. But yeah, I think it's things are shaping up really nicely for Roland Garros, I think. Yeah, I think it does speak well of him in that respect that he is such a difficult goal because in men's tennis, I think it is the hardest thing to do. Beat Nadal mm-hmm. at the French. Two guys have done it ever. Nadal didn't play well in either match. So the fact that this is what he's striving for means that uh, his aspirations are very high. His drive is very powerful. And he clearly believes that he can do it. So like you said, Andre, I think maybe it's not achievable right away, but he is getting himself closer. So I think step one is getting himself to that match, whether it be in a semi or a final. Um, or m- maybe a quarter, because I think CC Pass is ranked fifth right now. Um, but yeah, um, yeah and then so step two would be j- just like putting up a good fight. I think like uh, strip it down into like very achievable goals, like maybe get a set, maybe get two mm-hmm. sets if he's able to play that well. And then that's something to build off of, because like Vaughn said earlier, he's young, he's 22. He has plenty of time. No one is going to expect him to win the French this year. And so he can, so in that way, maybe he can play without pressure and just make it as far as he can and then outpace that the year after and the year after. Yeah. Yeah. I don't have much to, much to really add. So. <laughs> what did you think of, uh, what did you think of his tournament then, Vanch? Like what, what was his level of play? How did you rate it? I would say it's, it's, he, he looked like he had this intensity in his eye. Like I, I could see it right from honestly, after he beat Karatsev. I could just tell like he was sensing that this was his his time. He just looked so comfortable and just so, um, you know, at place in Monte Carlo. He lives there. He's got a really good, um, uh, obviously he, he has this, the, this passion for tennis, but it just seems like everything just kind of clicked for him. And he, and, you know, I think what was also striking is in the beginning, he was, uh, he had a moment with an umpire in his doubles match with um, Petros Tsitsipas um, and they had a bit of an incident. They won that match, but um, a line call went against him and he told the umpire to go back to the futures. And that comment was very out of line and quite, quite frankly, a bit disgusting to watch. And uh, he rightfully got a lot of flack for it. And, and um, you know, a lot of people were, were not liking what they were seeing because of the, just the, just the disrespect and the whole tone of it and the, the way he did it was just wrong. But then, so we saw that side of Sissipas, but then we saw the really good side by the end of the week and, and we saw why he's such a great, great player and so popular. And so, uh, you know, he's an interesting guy, really, I think on and off the court and, uh, you know, very philosophical, very, um, very just, just kind of lets you in a different kind of personality, um, you know, intriguing. I think he'll be able to bring a lot more fans uh, that, don't necessarily follow tennis week in and week out. And he already has such a big fan base from what I can see on social media. And so yeah. I think he's, he's an interesting player to follow. And I also know that uh, Gustavo Corton is a big fan of his game and he, he likes his one-handed backhand and he like a lot of uh, players born, you know, like, how do you say those old school tennis players mm-hmm. who, um, who go are playing in the nineties and eighties. I think they all, they all like his game and his style and, personality so i think i think from that standpoint it's it's he's gonna do uh i i have a lot of i have a lot of faith in his clay court game and i have a lot of faith in that he's going to be a, 
he's going to remain a, a top five player for for a good amount of time, I'd say. Mm. Yeah. yeah. And and maybe I also think that um, he may not be the first to win a slam out of Medvedev and Zverev and Tsitsipas, but he's certainly up there in the conversation and that, you know, he may have the most uh, well-rounded resume at the end, whether it be on surface versatility or just be, he might just have the most chances to strike in all four majors. Yeah. Because... I- I, I agree yeah. with that. Do you yeah. think that's like, true? De- definitely out of the next gen I've heard. I think they said on Tennis Channel that he may be like the most surface versatile on the tour, and I disagree with that. I think it's Djokovic on the ATP, but I think out of the young yeah. guys, out of the young he definitely guys, has yeah. the best chance to sure. really adapt to all four majors and go deep in all of them. Um, I mean, Wimbledon, we're yet to see it, but uh, Vontu mentioned a bit of his potential on grass. I think if he can fix some of the holes in his return, that'll only help his case. I definitely like his chances on grass going forward better than Zverev's or teams as of now. So, yeah. So yeah, I think he's got a a very bright future. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I think it's one of the reasons why also I'm excited for the grass season. Um, It's because last, last year we were robbed from, from this opportunity to see the, these young guys actually trying um, to, to do a little bit better. um, And, and on that surface, especially because the years before they were just kind of developing their games and it's a little bit more likely that they would pick them they'll be better on hard courts or on clay courts because it's a little bit more widespread and they get more opportunities to play and to feel the, the surface and the bounce um, but on grass it's it probably takes a little bit longer to to adapt and a few years of playing and, and seeing oh so this this is what happens when i do this on on this court you know so i feel like uh, last year would have been good <laughs> to assess this but Alas, we had to wait for another year. And I'm excited to see uh, Grass Court this year. Obviously, like this is one of the reasons why. Obviously, the, the other reason is just because we didn't have one last year. But now that we're on clay and we want to move on to that, you just spoke a little bit about Djokovic. Moving back to those two guys, the the two big three members. Um, and if you guys want to touch a little bit about uh, on, on Roger Federer as well, like just go full, full circle on the whole big three. What are their... their um, for Djokovic and Nadal specifically, does this tournament speak anything about their chances at Roland Garros? So I'll, I'll speak a little bit on Djokovic since we already touched a bit on Nadal against Rublev. I'd mm-hmm. say, um, you know, that Djokovic match was was interesting to me because uh, he came out uh, and I, I, I've thought about this uh, for a while with both Djokovic and Nadal, but also specifically Djokovic that after long breaks and, you know, winning a major like he did in 2019 at the Australian Open, the rest of his, like in his Indian Wells and Miami and some of his other tournaments, he didn't seem as motivated or as engaged and willing to suffer or willing to engage in these long baseline rallies that he would if it was, you know, like a semifinals of a major, that kind of thing. But but still, um, he came out very impressive off the gates against Yannick Sinner and he played that really good first round and he knew who he was up against. He, he had a point to prove. He, you know, uh, he at the end, convincingly beat, beat Sinner, who was the Miami Open champ, champ, uh, finalist. So it was a good it was a good result for him. And nobody thought he was going to lose to Dan Evans. I mean, if you had expected, if you had predicted Dan Evans, who has won two matches on clay, to have beaten the world number one, you, we would have laughed or thought you were crazy and you would have been rich if you had bet on those based on the odds. So, uh, but then if you actually watch the match and you look at the way Evans played it, and he played this tactically sound match where he was hitting so many slice backhands uh, cross court and he was forcing Djokovic to generate and come up with tough shots and Djokovic is such a balanced well-rounded player that he it's so use it's so um, 
striking when he's off balance. Let's I'll put it that way. And and some something that can do that to him is the wind. And those windy conditions that day, he was just falling back and hitting shots, or he was, uh, you know, just pushed out of his strike zone or having to generate from really really low awkward balls. And he was stuck in those patterns, and he couldn't really navigate his way out of the Evan Slice uh, sorcery, if you can call it that. And he wasn't getting the free points on his serve, and he wasn't able to just hit through the court and uh, hit through the wind. And I think those those kind of patterns, we have seen them in flashes before. Like if you think of the Roland Garros match against team, or we've seen other one-handers kind of deploy the slice uh, tactic against him and just force him to come up with everything and generate. And sometimes the timing isn't there and footwork, and but you haven't played for a few months. So I'm not too concerned about Djokovic, but I think it's just something to keep an eye on that there's more players who can physically stay up to the task against him on on clay and versus on hard court where he can use other ways to get out of those long rallies. Like he can use his serve to great effect and he can win three points on it. He can hit a lot of aces like he was in those fast courts in Melbourne. He can get more out of his forehand, I think, because he can, he can use that space of the court or he can redirect, which he was not able to redirect or absorb Evans. He was having to work so hard to generate all of that on his own. And then Evans, um, you know, uh, even then, um, you know, you still would have expected Djokovic to find a way to win a set or come out of come out of the hole. So for him, he said it was one of his worst matches he's played in the last four or five years and on clay. And I wouldn't uh, I wouldn't disagree with that. But also, I just know that he's going to get better and he's playing in Belgrade this week. And, you know, if he plays like this in Madrid and Rome, then I'd be a little bit more concerned. But um, but as of now, I think he I think still. Even even though we might be seeing a slight decline relative to his 2011 to 2016 clay seasons, where he could absolutely outlast anybody, um, including Nadal in best of threes, and even at the French Open, you know, pushed him to five sets in 2013, where they had one of their best matches. Uh, for comparing it to those standards, then yes, he you can say that he's it, it's just natural with age and and with with the way he he, he he's playing now to counteract that, but. Um, I think it'll be a different story, best of five sets, and still there's not many players who can beat him on clay. So, yeah. yeah, I don't have too much to add to that. I think I think the result isn't too surprising if you look at how he's done recently in Monte Carlo. He's had a string of pretty poor results there the last several years, but I was shocked to see that he lost to Evans. I think I think Evans did play well tactically with the slice, but Djokovic usually gets good penetration on his backhand down the line and inside and forehand. And there was just none of that. He, he wasn't hitting through the court enough. He hit a lot of OJ Aliasim esque inside out forehands that didn't really do anything, just sort of kept him locked in the rally. His serve is way less effective on clay and it didn't do too much. And despite all of that, he was still up a break in the second and he had a set point on which he netted an easy backhand uh, rally backhand, which is a collector's item. So I think, I don't read too much into it because he hasn't done well at Monte Carlo since 2015. He lost to a jury Vesely in 2016. Right. I think 2017, trying to, did he lose to team Go in fan. 2017? Go fan, yeah. Go and then fan. team 2018 yeah. and uh, 2019, he lost to Medvedev. So I think um, yeah. I think this is maybe the worst loss besides the one to Vesely, but, um, but yeah, I don't read too much into it because this hasn't been a great tournament for him for years now. So mm. I will, um, I'm sure that, playing in his hometown will cure whatever ails him. I think um, he did say he felt horrible uh, and it was one of the worst matches he had played in a while. And I think that's a fair assessment. So. Hmm. And 
Um, would you still rate Nadal as the favorite for the French Open? And yes. uh, how high would you place him above the number two? And who is the number two, by the way? Is it Djokovic still? Yeah. Uh, I would agree, yeah. I have Nadal still number one. You just can't argue with his Roland Garros record. Yeah. Uh, and also the, the last time we saw him play there. And uh, for, for number two, I still have Djokovic number two, but I have to see how Dominic team looks. Mm -hmm. um, because 2017 to 2020, he's been formidable. Probably second best at just looking at just Roland Garros only. Yeah, I, I think if team has like a great Madrid or Rome, I could maybe put him above Djokovic, but he would have to play very, very well. Nadal is the favorite by far because he's won the last four Roland Garros titles. He's only dropped three sets in the process. So he would need to have like truly, truly disastrous performances at Madrid, Rome, Barcelona, and the opening rounds of Roland Garros for me to change my mind. So um, yeah. I'd say Nadal, then Djokovic, then Tsitsipas, and team could also leapfrog Tsitsipas depending on how strong he is in his comeback. But that's where things stand for me. What about you, Andre? Um, to be fair, I think Nadal is always the, the goal. It's like you, you don't go into a Roland Garros uh, tournament with Nadal in the draw and you don't think that you don't need to beat him. Like, I mean, you always beat the player that is in front of you, um, as always. But uh, at some point, you have to imagine that you might have to face Nadal. And the chances are most likely whatever 100 divided by two is, like in, in, the, in percentages. <laughs> so... Um, it's like a 99, 98% um, mm -hmm. chance that you're going to have to to face Nadal at Roland Garros. So it's it's just something that you can you can just you can just imagine. Oh, maybe he's going to lose this year. Like it's 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 rare. So um, yeah, Nadal is definitely the favorite. Um, Rublev did say something interesting about the pressure that he has to hold on to. Like he's been the yeah. greatest for so mm -hmm. long that it must be such a It, it would feel like such a burden for so many other players. Maybe for him, it feels like a less of a burden. Maybe he likes it. Maybe he likes that it is a burden because he likes the competition. Um, and maybe the fact yeah. that he gets to and... be as competitive as it is because everybody's going to see him as the one to beat. He, he can play his best because people bring their best against him, which is interesting. But um, And I think yeah. more of the world will be watching him this year at Roland Garros. Certainly that like sure. they did last year in the fall where it was in October when... You know, like most people were kind of, you know, all the major sports, especially in America, had already happened. And so here, and uh, it'll be a bigger story also because he'll be going for the Grand Slam record. And last year mm. he was tying it, but it was That's in the true. midst of, you know, so many other storylines and tennis was in a weird place. But now with a more standard time, Roland Garros, and just the fact that he's now going to surpass Roger Federer and, uh, you know, is the favorite there. And it just mounts every single year because he's getting older too. And it's just, and, and, you know, it's going to be tough even for a Nadal performance that uh, 2020 Roland Garros final that we saw is like a top two, top three performance yeah. of like all of his hundred matches. So it's a very, very, very high bar and it, margins are slim and you just never know. That's why you follow sports because you just, you just don't know the outcome or even how inevitable it can be. Yeah. 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 And I think this year will be interesting because he is playing for 21 and On, on it getting harder and harder. I think score-wise, it was actually easier for him in 2020 than it was in 2019. But I do think this yeah. year, like there is some added pressure since the Roland Garros final. I know yeah. he hasn't played a match besides his World Tour finals match with the team, I would say, where I was like really, really impressed with his level. And so, yeah. so that adds pressure. Yeah, I think there's a bit of additional pressure in the clay season to have a good result in the lead-up, but we saw he didn't get one last year and he just played himself into form. Um, That yeah, this by the way was the this, Rublev, was um, 
Yeah, sorry. This Rublev thing, loss that he suffered this week, uh, was pretty similar also to the Schwartzman one where he yeah. didn't serve very well in yeah, those kind exactly. of conditions. And yeah. and he still managed to find a way and win a set here. And I think so. Mm. I think he'll only get better and better every week. Yeah. I expect him to yeah. play a lot better in Barcelona. Yeah, be and I think the discussion surrounding this match was very similar to the Schwartzman one. There was a lot of talk about, is he still the favorite? And I think now it's a similar situation, but he's still got three clay tournaments to play before the French. So he has lots of time to get himself into a better position. And even if he doesn't improve on this match, I think he'll still be the favorite. So yeah. Somebody who doesn't have a lot of time to get himself into the clay court season is Roger Mm -hmm. Federer, because he's obviously announced that he's playing in Geneva and, uh, and at the French open. And, you know, we were all wondering, I certainly was wondering, is he going to play Madrid? Is he going to play Geneva? Because we know the goal for him is, Wimbledon and obviously since that Doha run he took that time off he didn't play Dubai didn't play Miami and obviously was clearly was still feeling the effects physically not at 100% and so for him to just announce and say we're playing Geneva and uh, Roland Garros is, uh, was interesting to me because normally G- Geneva is actually where Rome would have been so he will have like a week off after the Geneva and, and so I think uh, and it'll be a lighter load for him. I think coming back at a 250 rather than a, rather than a mm-hmm. 1000, yeah. but it was interesting that he didn't play Madrid because I felt like Madrid has been his best clay court uh, masters out of the three. And he's, he likes the conditions there with the altitude, but it's also not just out of the three masters. Madrid is generally not the most conducive to what's going to happen at Roland Garros. Generally mm-hmm. there's big servers and uh, who like Madrid, who like the altitude there, but it's, it plays nothing like Roland Garros. So I think uh, he'll, try to stick with Geneva and I think Roland Garros for him is more like the appetizer and then Wimbledon is kind of like the main course so that's where he's looking to that's where we're looking to see him peak and get there but it'll just be extremely difficult and I think Geneva will tell us a lot because the worst thing you want to see as a Federer fan is him playing Geneva him struggling maybe like he did in Doha winning winning one match playing you know really good tennis tennis world stopping and uh, and all eyes on him and plays two matches and then is optimistic about it, impressed, downplays his uh, physical fitness. And then next thing you know, five hours later, Roger Federer is pulled out of Roland Garros. And that would be the worst thing that and, that for a Federer fan. Then I'd be a little bit worried that ooh, now, you know, Wimbledon, Halle coming up and, mm-hmm. you know, obviously has those two memories of the two match points. And so if he can get back to to any sort of rhythm, uh, I think... I think that's what what, what it's going to be all about. Uh, grass. Yeah. I think honestly, if he gets to like a round of sixteen at the French Open, that's a great result right there, because that's just going to be building. And and then if he loses first week, he has more time for the grass too. Yeah, agreed. Yeah, the the one thing about uh, I think the big three in general right now, they're probably moving into this phase um, where I'm not sure obviously how much Nadal would care about like the Masters one thousand record. He probably would like to play well in. And at least Madrid and Rome, where he he likes to to he just likes to play on clay. So I think he would give his all. He's, it's not like he doesn't care about the terms that he enters in. But I do think that there is a this goal of uh, of focusing on Grand Slams because that's that's where they play the best tournaments. That's where they feel most at home. That's where um, their goals, while uh, worded differently from each of them, like it's definitely where it lies. Is where it's playing well on 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 the on the Grand Slams. For Djokovic, is, is records. For Federer, it's just, I don't know, maybe the atmosphere and the fact that he loves to play in Wimbledon. And for Nadal, it's probably because he thinks it's just the most competitive of the tournaments and he can be the most competitive um, or something like that along those lines. The thirst so, of competition. Yeah, yeah. so I feel like it's as they all move into this um, season of their careers where 
the Grand Slams is where is where it's at, pretty much. Um, I think yeah. you're gonna see lots and lots of um, results similar to to those that we see in Monte Carlo, where they're just yeah. gonna play badly and just gonna lose to a player outside of the top 20 or uh, one of the the younger guys in straight sets in a match that looks like it was pretty straightforward. And then they're gonna come back firing back in the Grand Slams because that's where I think that they're gonna put all the energy, mental and physical, into those tournaments. Um, so that's why I totally definitely, agree. yeah, I def- definitely feel like all of the favoritism, if you're doing like a seeds by favorites, it would still hold the Nadal's favorite at, at, um, at Roland Garros. Probably Djokovic's favorite at Wimbledon. Um, yes. I would put Federer a second, um, <clears throat> depending on how he comes out. Like uh, we haven't seen him since uh, Doha. And it, it was encouraging, although it was not encouraging for the overall long term. Um, but it was encouraging that he was playing well and he was not necessarily suffering from anything it seemed but we have to see and assess like how he go, comes back on 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 tour and i, I definitely agree with you that uh Vonch, that Roland Garros is definitely just um an appetizer for him there is no yeah. way that Federer is going into Roland Garros thinking i'm 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 going to give give my all and win this tournament because even if he does there's a slim chance that he's going to make it with so many people coming coming up and playing really well a newcomer on clay Tsitsipas playing really well too is it's just getting harder for him to 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 get better at the tournament. Whereas Wimbledon is still a little bit like as um, the, the competition is, is a little bit smaller in terms of players who can actually make a push to be the winner. So yeah. if there's one thing that Federer is thinking is, well, maybe Djokovic and Nadal are going to lose early again as well, and maybe I have <laughs> a better shot of winning against Tsitsipas and team than I have with the other guys. So you mentioned Federer and Roland Garros. It's interesting because now he's eighth in the world. And so he could right. you know, he even could if, get one of them in the quarters. That'd be exactly. And, and even at Wimbledon, actually, because Wimbledon doesn't use the seating formula anymore. They exactly. got rid of that in 2020. So he'll be seated, whatever his ranking is uh, at yeah. Wimbledon as well. Yeah, so. I do wonder if it would affect the matchup at all if he like got Djokovic in a quarterfinal instead of a final. I think probably not, because Djokovic tends to do a great job of like peaking mentally and physically against Federer and Nadal. But it'd be interesting to see them play in a Very Wimbledon quarterfinal <laughs> instead of the final. Yeah. <laughs> And um, speaking of uh, um, favorites for Roland Garros, we had a big announcement from Team, who uh, yeah. was posting on uh, an, an interview that he gave that he he was kind of struggling to find his drive uh, to to play tennis and to you know find the motivation to go on court and do his best or practice something along those lines. Um, and uh, First of all, it's it's definitely a fair assessment. He mentioned uh, winning after the U.S. Open and just kind of having this uh, this little low on energy on on energy in terms of um, going out and striving for more. And to be fair, like when you play as a tennis player um, and you practice your entire life pretty much to to win those tournaments and you get to win one, it's I think Owen you said said you said it was pretty cathartic yes, in in a certain uh, in in a way, uh, which in a way, um, in 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 a way, it definitely shows how the big three have this crazy weird obsession or drive to play tennis above all else and keep coming in and out week in and week out and month in month out year in and year out playing their best tennis and winning slams like like it's two fifties like it's challengers. Um, but um, for him, it's it's definitely something like you you get to that point and you you win, so. And, and I mean, there's what? definitely yeah. some uh, some letdown in that one. But I like, do you think this um, compromises his favoritism in Roland Garros. Mm, I, I think it can. I, I'd like to say first that 
I think this phenomenon is very normal. Like you said, the big three and Serena and all the other people who've won like tons of majors, I think have an incredibly rare characteristic where they're just able to be consistently sustained by success. I think Andre Agassi and uh, Caroline Wozniacki have both spoke about how they felt nothing when they reached world number one and they had to like come up with new goals and find new ways to motivate themselves. And that can be really difficult. Like with team, he said he worked for 15 years to achieve this goal. And then he did. And like you said, it's incredibly cathartic. So sort of how do you keep your motivation at the same level? I think there would be for 99.999% of the people in the world, there would be an inevitable dip after that, because how do you sustain it? Having reached the mountaintop, you have to look for new mountaintops. And so I think, I think results are more relevant than these quotes, but I think the quotes are definitely consistent with maybe that it's taken him a little longer to come back, um, that he's having maybe some struggles besides just his physicality. So I think, um, so yeah, I, I do think it um, puts his favoritism at tournaments into question a little bit. I, I'd like to see him come back because he's a spectacular player. Uh, he has really exciting rivalries with Nadal and Djokovic and Tsitsipas. So I'd love to see him back and playing his best in time for the French Open, um, or even before then, if possible. Yeah, I mean, his interview is uh, was quite honest, and it was brave of him to uh, you know talk about mental health struggles, and you know that's something that uh, you know not many athletes willingly or openly share. And so it was good to see that it's uh, it's not just you know it's not just physically. Obviously, he's been compromised with his knees and his. And and his foot, but then also now he's uh, now mentally also he's kind of struggling to build on that U.S. Open run and those those expectations. And I think it Owen's right; it's completely normal. And it's it's uh, you know these three that we have are kind of a rare breed in that sense. Uh, but also the, it just speaks to how much work team put in to get to that point to actually hold that U.S. Open. Just the amount of tournaments I remember him playing from you know, basically 2016 to 2020 in the whole pandemic year, he was playing, you know, nonstop. Like he played something like 29 matches, you know, between March, 2020 and August, 2020, where the rest of the tour was training and taking or resting or recuperating or taking a break. And for, so for, to me, it's no, no surprise that he has had somewhat of a letdown and that his season didn't quite, you know, he had that fantastic win over Kyrgios, but since then it's, it's been really tough to see him. He's been a little bit of a shell. Uh, of himself the last two three matches since but I think it's good that he's taking he's recognized this early he's he's uh he's now taking a break and I think he'll he'll come back uh stronger and hungrier he also said that he still his goal is still to win the French Open and he also mentioned the Olympics as being a as being a big goal because his coach Nicholas Massou prides himself as that was his biggest accomplishment was winning the 2004 Olympic gold for his country in Chile and also winning the doubles at the same time and so playing for his country and playing for finding that new mountain top like Owen was talking about is is going to be key and there's plenty of them and he's he's a great player already it's so natural for him clay so i think he'll i think it'll be interesting to see how how he adjusts and it just yeah it shows and he's he's what 27 and he'll be 28 in september so i think you know while while he's no longer young anymore but i think uh, i still think he has plenty of really good years ahead yeah yeah he's not young but he's not yet old so i think yeah. there's still plenty of time yeah you want to talk about the, the? I think this meeting is. If you want yeah, to do like ten more stupid minutes, stupid Zoom is going to kick us out again. Yeah. I'll, I'll start one more meeting and we can do like think, ten minutes. On yeah. The, yeah. yeah, I was thinking yeah. of like maybe it was, I would just finish it because I have to go soon as well. So oh, okay, sure, yeah. Um, uh, uh, on the next one, we can we can catch up with that stuff some more if you want. 
Yeah, for sure. That'd yeah, be for interesting. sure. Especially because Billie Jean King that. only finishes like next year anyway, so we have plenty of time. Okay, yeah, yeah. So there's time. Yeah. All right. Yeah. All right. Um All right. so yeah, thank you guys so much for, for being here. It was a great talk. Um I'm as always really, really excited to um watch uh the next few tournaments that are coming about and uh we'll see we'll see how our our assessments of uh, of the players come about. Um they come if they come true or not. Um obviously Roland Garros is still um a bit of a long way ahead um so we'll stick to barcelona now and see how nadal does there and the other players i'm excited to see a couple of the canadians coming back as well and you probably are excited to see some of the americans um so yeah on that note um thank you all for listening follow us on twitter uh, all of our handles are in the description and um yeah i'll see you guys later bye bye Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. 